Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Every year on January 27th, we commemorate Holocaust Remembrance Day. While this is a story of great pain and sorrow, as the Greek experience also shows us, it's also an opportunity to remember the brave individuals who decided to stand up to hate, no matter the consequences, those known as righteous among the nations. David Harris, a lifelong friend of Greece and the previous CEO of the American Jewish Committee, joins me as we commemorate Holocaust Remembrance Day, the story of Greece during the Holocaust, and its special relevance today given the alarming rise in anti-Semitism. David, great to have you back on The Greek Current. My pleasure, thank you. David, Friday is International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and throughout this month, you've been sharing stories of those remembered as righteous among the nations. Why is it so important to focus our attention on these individuals? I think it's terribly important, first of all, because the actual survivors of the Holocaust are now fewer and fewer in number. They're passing away. The eyewitnesses, the liberators, the resistance fighters, similarly. And the world needs to know the story of the Holocaust, both for the purpose of history, but also for the purpose of the future. And highlighting some of the individuals who express the best of humanity, I think, as a reminder of what each of us is capable of. And so it's not just an exercise in history. It's also an effort to strengthen our confidence in ourselves that each of us can make a difference. The Nazi occupation of Greece, along with the devastation it brought to the country, also brought with it the Holocaust. You've spoken often about the Greek experience and are the recipient of the Bishop Chrysostomos Award. Why should everyone learn the story of Greece during the Holocaust? Well, I think, first of all, everyone should learn the story of Greece during the Second World War. And why, for example, Ochi Day, Ochi being the Greek word for no, is so important as an example of what defiance and resistance can mean. And secondly, because not only did Greece say no to the call for surrender from the Italian fascists, but Greece itself set an example for the determination to fight against all the odds. And of course, there's that very famous quote by Winston Churchill, which I frequently cite, that Greeks don't fight like heroes, heroes fight like Greeks. And there was a quote in a very similar vein from President Franklin Roosevelt about Greece. So more generally, unlike those countries, for example, that capitulated immediately or that took the neutrality route throughout the war, Greece showed resistance and defiance and, and courage. In the case of the Holocaust, it's obviously a much more complicated story because obviously each country would like to believe that you know, only good things happened. But at the end of the day, the story about the Holocaust in Greece does not have a happy ending. As many as 87% of the Jews of Greece perished because of the Nazi deportation of the Jews and their murder in the death camps. At the same time, there were a few examples of extraordinary courage. And for me, Zakynthos, the Greek island, embodies again, what people are capable of. In this case, when the Nazis occupied the island and they called in the mayor and the bishop and demanded of those two the names of all the Jews on the island, and I believe there are around 275 Jews living on the island, the mayor and the bishop came back the next day with a list and it had only two names on it and it was their own names. Obviously, they were not Jewish. 
But what an act of defiance. And lo and behold, the 275 Jews had the time to go and hide and were hidden in the countryside, in the hillside, in the mountainside of Zakynthos. And they all survived the war. So there was good news to point to, like Zakynthos, or like the experience of the father of the late Shimon Peres, the president of Israel. I heard with my own ears Shimon Peres tell the story of how his father, serving the British army, needed refuge and hiding and found it in a monastery in Greece. And the priests risked their own lives by hiding a Jew, but they hid him and he survived. And he came to Israel and his son became the prime minister and then the president and a Nobel laureate. So there are these good stories, but at the end of the day, overall, tragically, because of Nazi Germany, because of its allies and collaborators, overall, it's a tragic story, a very tragic story. David, while many think this is simply a matter of history, anti-Semitism hasn't vanished. In fact, alarmingly, it's rising. Is there a lesson from the Greek experience with the Holocaust for today's world leaders? I think that there are three contemporary lessons, at least, for the Holocaust and why it matters today and why people shouldn't just sort of roll their eyes or yawn and say, oh my God, here we go again back in history. When will this ever end? Which is a reaction I've seen from time to time, including in social media. The first important lesson is how thin the line is between democracy and tyranny. Germany was perhaps the most advanced country in the world in the 1920s in terms of science and culture and education and all those things that we attach such importance to in our democratic societies. And look what happened to Germany and the legacy of Beethoven and Bach and Heine and Schiller and Goethe didn't stop Germany from committing mass atrocities and genocide. So we have to be the guardians of democracy and <laughs> where did it all begin? Well, in ancient Greece. Secondly, we have to understand that anti-Semitism begins with words and ends with genocide. And it begins with attacking the Jews and it ends with attacking the broader society and its pillars of democracy and rule of law, and pluralism, and respect for the other. So when we see anti-Semitism growing today, you know, some people say, well, why should that matter? Who cares about the Jews? Well, first of all, I hope people do care about the Jews as fellow human beings. And secondly, they should understand that what begins with Jews never ends with Jews. And third, and also very important for me, and something that is not always widely understood, is the centrality of Israel to post-Holocaust understanding. Jews did not have a state during the Second World War. Jews did not have a country that would openly welcome them. Jews did not have an army. Jews did not have a means of defending themselves. Israel represents Jewish sovereignty, Jewish control over entry and immigration, a Jewish army, an army that can defend itself and defend others. These are all extraordinarily important. Now, where Greece comes in, in addition to being the pillar of democracy, the cradle of democracy, is Greece has set an example in recent years 
of standing up against anti-Semitism both at home and around the world. And if you take the case of the Golden Dawn Party, which frankly was a shame and a stain on contemporary Greece, that even 6, 8, 10% of the electorate, for whatever reason, whether it was because of the economy or the pandemic or immigration, but for whatever reason was willing to vote for a neo-Nazi party, the fact that the Greek governments, plural, including the government of Prime Minister Samaras and the government today of Prime Minister Mitsutakis have stood so strongly against the Golden Dawn Party, against this kind of neo-fascism, against the reemergence of glorification of Hitler and anti-Semitism, I think is a, a real testament to Greece. And the fact that Greece overcame its early reluctance, even resistance, to engaging directly with Israel for some 40 years, but today has built an extraordinarily strong and wide and deep and mutually beneficial bilateral relationship with Israel, I think speaks to not just the responses to the Holocaust, but also, I think, a kind of evolution and maturation of Greek thinking about the lessons of the Holocaust as they apply to any democratic society, in this case, to its credit to Greece. David, what's really inspiring, at least to me, is that many of the righteous among the nations weren't prime ministers or presidents, but they were ordinary people that simply decided to stand up to hate, no matter the consequences. Beyond anything a world leader says, is this how we ensure that never again has meaning today? Well, never again cannot just become a kind of cute slogan that people invoke at the appropriate time, including on International Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, January 27th. I'm sure that when we visit social media outlets on January 27th, we're going to see hashtag never again you know, thousands of times. And look, it's good. I'm happy to see it. But the real test is not just on January 27th and not just on Twitter or TikTok or Facebook. The real test is on January 28th and January 29th, and not when people are looking and watching, but in those moments when you, know, you get no points publicly for doing the right thing. You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I have no doubt that the mayor and the bishop on the island of Zakynthos were not thinking about how many retweets or likes they could get on social media if they presented a list of just two names of the Jews on the island. They did it because it was the right thing to do, and they did it knowing that they were potentially risking their life the same with Archbishop Damaskinos, who also stood up to the Nazis and who was threatened with torture and death. These are people who didn't do it for reasons of ego and publicity and celebrity, which too often drives our world today. They did it out of the basic understanding of our common humanity and that the essence of religion, whatever the religion may be, is not just the dress or the ritual it's the behavior. It's the action. Religion is not just about acting. It's about doing real religion, in my view. And the people who express true faith and true religion are those who are able to understand that there is no greater expression of religion than to help fellow human beings, whatever their race, whatever their religion, whatever their background may be, but people who are being targeted. And in today's world, 
whether it's the rise in anti-Semitism or the rise, to use the Greek word, in xenophobia or the rise in general hatred or the strengthening of the extremes of both the right and the left, we need more decent people, good people, doing things for the right reasons, standing up for one another. And here, I would simply conclude by saying that there's one fundamental teaching in the Jewish religion which I've always taken very much to heart. In the Jewish religion, if one goes to a synagogue, for example, there will never be an image of God. You will never see it rendered artistically. Because after all, if you try to render the image of God, inevitably you include but you exclude. If God is a male, what about females? If God is white, what about people of color? If God is tall, what about people who are not? If God is short, what about people who are I can keep going. The essence of Judaism, as I learned it, was the principle that we are all created in God's image. Not Jews, all. And for me, the fundamental teaching of religion has to be in the 21st century, we have to be there for each other. And the Holocaust ought to teach us what the consequences are of pretending otherwise, or averting our eyes, or sloughing it off as if, who cares what happens to them? Well, them is us. And that's the enduring lesson of the Holocaust and the enduring lesson of Zakynthos. Because the alternative is that a city like Thessaloniki, which had a huge Jewish community, vital to the city in so many ways, an essential part of the fabric and fiber of life in the city and in the country, is now a, a skeleton, a shadow. A thousand Jews holding on trying to preserve the legacy of this once great community. I don't want people to be mourning the dead. I want people to be defending and affirming the life of the living, be they Jewish or not. That, to me, is the enduring lesson of the Holocaust. And that, to me, is the contribution of what happened, for example, with Zakynthos. That was the ultimate expression. Or the rescue of the Jews in Denmark. Or the, the sanctuary given to the Jews in Albania or the, the pronouncement of the Sultan of Morocco when he was asked to assemble all the Jews at the orders of French Vichy and the Nazis, and he said to them, they are all my citizens. There are no Jews or non-Jews among them. They are all Moroccans. That's the kind of expression of humanity we need more than ever today, and that's why Holocaust is not just history. Holocaust is as much about tomorrow as it is about yesterday. David. Thanks for joining us again. Always great speaking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye-bye. In other news, the seismic data ExxonMobil's Sanko Swift research vessel has collected so far offer clear indications of the existence of an important hydrocarbon field in the area south of Crete. In fact, according to what Environment and Energy Minister Costas Crecas conveyed to journalists on Tuesday, the indications create high expectations of a deposit that can cover the gap left by Russian gas on the European market for 10 years i.e. 30 billion cubic meters annually, based on the EU estimates. The minister's statements were made after the meeting he reportedly had on Tuesday with six executives of ExxonMobil who came to Athens to inform the ministry about the progress of the seismic surveys to date. Finally, Turkey's foreign minister on Thursday accused Sweden of being complicit in a hate and racist crime for failing to prevent protests in Stockholm by an anti-Islam and pro-Kurdish groups. Mevlut Cavusoglu also confirmed that a key meeting to discuss Sweden and Finland's NATO membership has been postponed saying such a meeting would have been meaningless in the wake of the protests. Turkey's president this week also cast serious doubt on NATO's expansion, warning Sweden not to expect support for its membership bid in the military alliance. 
asked about the possibility of Finland joining the alliance on its own if Sweden's bid is delayed further. Tsavusoglu said Turkey had not received such a request. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.